Oh, this is going to be a good one. You're listening to Pete the Planner. This week on the Pete the Planner show, we answer your money questions. That's how it works. See, the show doesn't work without you. That's overselling it a bit. We'd be fine. But email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. Ask Pete at petetheplanner.com. I said the U word. The U word is yeah, us, and uh, us involves Damien Dunn. Hello, Dame. Hey, Pete. Studio North today, not uh, Studio South. Yeah, the uh, the great Northeast today. Dear Pete and Damien Dunn, they spelled your name wrong in this question. That's not the first time and won't be the last time. No relation. Good day. I love your show. This is a regular listener. Good day. Yes. Because if you say good day, we, we laugh. I love your show, Pete, and appreciate Damien's contributions. He's almost as funny as you are. <laughs> that might be a stretch. <laughs> that is a stretch. I could use your advice regarding allocating extra income. The good news is here, Damien actually is smarter than me, so that is, that is <laughs> helpful. My, does, my husband and I, oh, by the way, I am back to reading the email. Okay. My husband and I are 34 years old. We have one kid, uh, and uh, I'm hoping for a second we make a combined income. Well, don't just hope. Get to work. Um, that's mm. after after they listen to this. We make a yeah. We make a combined income of $140,000 a year. We have a $100,000 balance on a $120,000 mortgage. We max out Roth IRAs. We contribute about $15,000 to each of our 401ks each year. Total right now in retirement account is $140,000. We have an emergency fund of $10,000, which is about three months of expenses. Our only other expense is my student loans. I'm eligible for the public student loan forgiveness program in 2024. Mathematically, the forgiveness program makes more sense for me than trying to pay the balance earlier. I chose a stupidly expensive Ivy League school for my graduate degree and have over $300,000 in student loans. Lastly, I will be eligible for a pension if I stay with the federal government until retirement age. My question is this. Where should we allocate extra income as our budget becomes clearer after birthing our son? Birthing as a verb. Is that really what it says? It does. It's graphic. We may have extra funds to play with. I'm considering 401k versus a 529 type account versus paying off the mortgage faster versus what? You tell me. My hubs has no preference and is tickled that I love managing our finances. Thanks for your help. You guys are the best. Uh, I don't know. Should I give the name? I don't ever know if I want people to give the name or not. I'll make nah. one up. Nah, nah, Trudy. Nah. Trudy. 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 Fantastic. First impressions, name. Sounds like they got it going. They've got everything together. I, I again, you know, I, I feel like there's not a whole lot we can suggest here that's going to go wrong. Yeah, you take an Ivy League education, you take a, a healthy household income, not a lot of debt, other than the Ivy League education that they've got a plan to pay off. You're going to be okay. You know, here's the thing, Dame. What do you think about the ethics of? taking advantage of the public student loan forgiveness program. And I, I know in me asking it, it acts as though I think there's something wrong with people sort of premeditatively using it. But I'm curious if you feel that way or not. 
this was the one thing that I, not the ethics side of it, but this is the area I thought we might be able to have some conversation around. Um, you know, it's a program that's set up and is you know, expected to be used by students who qualify for it. You know, just the fact that, uh, would you, let's put it this way, would you feel differently if it was a state school versus an Ivy League school? Uh, I think I would still ask the question. Uh, yeah, I, I would still, I, I've always wondered this. I, I just wondered, and by the way, I, it's not that I think that there's an ethical issue here, but I, I think it's an interesting question is if there's a program like this where people borrow money and then because of this program choose a way to not pay it back, is there anything wrong with that or is that just smart? No, I, I think it's smart. I mean, it's, the program is set up to entice people to go into lower paying jobs, not in the private sector, but in the public sector, um, and give them a way to, you know, try and get back to a level playing field with, uh, with people who may be earning more money on a, a regular basis. So I, I think the intent is good. I guess we could argue or continue to, you know, explore the, uh, the ethics of it, but it's it's a program you know, set up to get really good minds into lower paying positions, and I I think that's I think that's okay. Yeah, again, it's not that I feel the other way. In fact, I would say the program is intended to grab someone from an Ivy League school and get them into public service. Yeah, you know, it, it sort of worked perfectly there. What would you do with their financial life, and what would you? focus on i i feel look i mean we're, we're splitting hairs let's just be honest this is the split hair segment of the show because there's not a lot different that we would have these people do i think a 529 account can obviously make some sense i mean while they're at it they might as well just uh either increase their savings or bump their 401k contributions up a little bit too a hundred forty thousand yep. dollar balance or hundred is that what the balance was? Yeah, about $140,000 in their retirement accounts at age 34 for people that are doing this well. I, I would like to see that a little higher, frankly. It's great, but I'd love to see it higher. Yeah, the retirement balance could be a little bit higher, but I don't... Was the retirement balance inclusive of the Roth accounts, do we know? Total right now in retirement accounts is 140. Okay. I think that's well, inclusive. We'll just assume it. that's inclusive. Um yeah, I mean, keep keep maxing out the Roth. Maybe bump up the four hundred one k a little bit. Um, Five twenty nine, especially depending on what state you live in, makes a ton of sense. Especially if there's some some uh, current income tax incentives for you to contribute to that. Um, yeah, what about I, the the idea that like trying to pre save for the treadmill years? They have one kid, mm -hmm. two working parents. When they have two kids, then you get expensive daycare. What about pre-funding now so that they're not going backwards when it comes to, you know, what is the expensive years of your life when your kids are one to six years old? Sure. Yeah. If you want to start building a, a nest egg for, you know, the treadmill years or, you know what, maybe uh, maybe the second kid makes you decide you're going to stay home for a little while. We, we don't know that either. That, of course, throws uh, public student loan forgiveness into a, a bit of a, a question as well. So unless her husband stays as, home, I mean, well, I've seen true. that. I, I had that's a client true. that did that, like two high earners, and because of a factor just like that, it made more sense in their family situation for the dad to stay home. 
he did for several years. Then went back into the, actually went back to nursing school, hmm. and uh, you know, sort of restarted his career after a, a period of reflection, and of course, a loud period of reflection because he was taking care <laughs> of two two young boys. How did he find the peace to reflect? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I can't find the peace to watch an opening night of football this week. The kids are so hmm. loud. Uh, so, so Dame, this is a good one. I, I don't see any reason whatsoever for the people to pay off their mortgage faster. I mean, that just doesn't make sense to me. No, I'd I'd chuck extra funds at uh, at retirement or uh, uh, building up a, a cushion for treadmill years. Yeah, an emergency fund is ten thousand is great because that's what they they should have. But I think a family like this, I mean, you got to get to a point where a family like this has thirty grand in cash, or I mean, they need they need flexibility money, whether that goes towards the treadmill years or not. I feel like I don't know. I'm, I'm coming down with my ruling. Here it is. Assuming they're going to put some money into a 529, I think they need to get really aggressive and saving more money towards just boring, flexibility, non-retirement savings. Such an exciting answer, but probably the right answer. Yeah, that's tough. This is great, though. Good job. What do we call her? Trudy? Trudy. Trudy. Nice work, Trudy. You spelled Damien's name wrong in the intro, and then later in the email, you spelled it correct. So... So much for Ivy League as educations. I can't even talk. Yeah, yeah. Dame, coming up after the break, more of this show. You're back. I'm back. Everyone's back. This is the Pete the Planner Show, and I'm so glad you're here. Back on the Pete the Planner show. If you want to ask us a question, we encourage you to do so. We just prefer it be written and typed. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Joining me from Studio Northeast is Damian Andrew Dunn, Dad. Oh, thanks for that, Pete. You're welcome. All right, Dame, uh, this is not a question. Actually, it is a question. It's a question for you. I'm writing my USA Today column today. USA Today. And I'm writing about when to get rid of your car that you've been driving forever because it's taking you deeper in the hole with repairs and, you know, when to jump back into a newer or new car to you. Are you a drive cars into the ground guy? What What is the Dunn family philosophy, Northeast Indiana? Uh, full disclosure, we have been pretty terrible with our car buying uh, and usage uh, history. We, we've kind of churned cars for a long time, but we have uh, started to amend that. We were uh, on a, a path where I think I've had my car for well over three years, which doesn't sound like much, but for us uh, in our family, that's that's saying something. Um, so yeah, I, usually we, we get rid of cars before they give us any trouble, but we are committed to trying to uh, run these as long as we can. Kids, okay, so des- kids destroying cars will do that to you. That is that is a good point uh, to deal with here. But let, let's let, kind of dig deeper into what you just said. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So pr- pre, uh, I can't talk. Prior to your current philosophy of driving the car that I've known you to have the entire time I've mm-hmm. known you, would you go buy a new car or a used car? Would you finance it? Would you lease it? Would you pay cash? What what were you doing? Um, used and paid cash. Okay. Same, right? Same yep. for me. 
that's that's what well, actually we'll get to me here in a second. Okay, so then what you did is you paid cash for a used car, but now you're holding on to it longer. Is is basically the change? Yeah, yeah, that's the the major change. Uh, there were a couple times that we bought new cars for for various reasons um, that are frankly too boring to get into here, but. Uh, our philosophy has always been find a nice used car and pay cash for it. And now it's going to be hold on to it for as long as you can. Yeah. I think kids definitely play into this. I mean, it affected Mrs. Planner and I's last car buying decision because it was her turn to get a new car. But then we realized if we did that and by new car, I meant new to us that the kids would destroy it. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they, they're just at that age with sports and muddy feet and it just, it would be a mess. And so we, we we did something different. Now, I guess, Dame, how do you guys, do you have a way to determine whether or not it's time to make a different move based on the expenses of maintenance and repair? We're still trying to f- work our way through this because, you know, we're at the point where the age of our cars and, and the mileage, uh, they're starting to require some some serious attention. I did a transmission in one of our vehicles earlier this year. Um, but it still had enough utility for us that whatever we wanted to replace it with, we couldn't justify spending more money when we could just fix what we already had. Um, even though it was a expensive, um, you know, fix. So, uh, we're still trying to figure out what that, that breaking point is going to be to get rid of a, a vehicle that we, we know the history of, at least for the last, you know, four or five years. And move into something else when we can just plan on spending you know, more than we we typically would have for for maintenance, but it's still a serviceable serv- serviceable vehicle. Good, well said. Yeah. You know, we we were there recently uh, in the spring, late, early summer, late spring, early summer, where we needed to do something. Like we we needed to make a, a car move. And previously, I would take a big chunk of money and buy a three year old car. And then drive it for ten years. I mean that that has been our jam for for a very long time. And based on what we have going on in our lives right now, and just you know, you know, I got a business. I like to keep extra cash around in case I need a cash infusion or something like that. Hey, a little look behind the curtain, everybody. Um, and so I just decided, you know what? I don't want to take tens of thousands of dollars of my money and part with it because I would rather have liquidity. I would rather have that money. So what I decided to do, because cash flow isn't a big issue for me right now, I decided to lease for three years until we get through this period of time in which we can get back on track. And so it was, I figured cash flow is not an issue for three years. I don't want to, I was talking to a good friend who I really trust with their financial decisions. And and he was like, okay, why finance a depreciating asset, you know, it makes more sense to him to rent lease a depreciating asset. And then the repairs of it never become your problem. It's under the same idea that while renting a house can at times make more sense than buying a house because you don't have the maintenance and repair costs. So Dame, when I put it in that perspective for you, if cash flow is not, you don't mind having a payment and you're not consumed with owning something outright. Because if I if I have a car payment over a 10-year period, it could arguably equal what you've paid 
out of pocket and a full cash payment for a car. Sure. I, you know, my previous behavior would have been one that probably would have been textbook for leasing, uh, the leasing case, because, you know, I was you know, going through a different car on a fairly regular basis, not because I needed to, but frankly, I just got bored. I, I've, fancy myself as a, a bit of a car guy i know you can't tell that you are on, a car guy yeah i mean you on, really are yeah I, I i love cars always have uh, something that uh, for as long as i can remember uh my dad and i used to to do and chase and and talk about and go to car shows and all that fun stuff so um i love cars and so you could have made a case and that's actually one of the reasons that that you would consider leasing is because you want something different on a, a regular basis so um, if cash flow is not an issue, well, you know, leasing may be a decent solution for you. You just have you know, to make it's sure. Weird. It, yeah, go ahead. I said, just make sure the, the, you're not preventing yourself from achieving other goals, uh, w- with that additional payment. But, um, in the right situation, it's, it's, it's not a bad option. Let me, let's say for a second here, anytime I say the phrase cash flow isn't an issue, that's a really gross statement that can be misinterpreted several different ways. Here's what it means, by the way, if I say cash flow isn't an issue. It means I fully fund retirement. I currently fully fund my kids' college education. I have a full emergency fund, and I have money left over at the end of the month. That is what it means when I say cash flow is not an issue. Dame, it's almost like the emailer in our last segment. Cash flow is not an issue for them. They're they're fine that way. Here's where cash flow is an issue. You're not maxing out your 401k. You're not fully funding your kid's college education. And you don't have a full emergency fund. In that circumstance, I would argue that making a decision based on free cash flow is is a bad idea. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there are things that take priority in in your life. And, you know, hopefully cars aren't one of them. I, you know, if you boil it down, cars serve a very basic use. They get you from point A to point B and it doesn't have to be, um, a brand new Audi to get you from, from home to work. It, it can just as easily be a 10 year old Toyota Camry to do it. Um, sorry. No, I was going to say, let's say for a second, I'm just doing some, uh, some math here. Let's say for a second, I pay $25,000 for a car, cash, okay? Used car. Okay. And I, it's a, to get an equivalent car, I would have a $300 lease payment. Okay. Okay. Coming up after the break, we'll continue this conversation. I will do the math. You'll love the math. It will be great. I'm Pete the Planner. Back on the Pete the Planner Show, doing car math here. Uh, so here's the deal. I'm writing USA Today column about when to get rid of your car you've been driving forever and to get another car because the maintenance cost gets you. Dame, what we didn't talk about in the first segment in this uh, regard is, sure, you just fixed your transmission. You made an investment in driving your car longer. But what you don't know is 
what's the next thing to break and how much will that one cost you? Because if it is a cost that does not make sense, then it could be argued that the tra- replacing the transmission was a bad idea. Absolutely. That's so frustrating. Yeah. I mean, to some extent, you go through that with um, certain home appliances or uh, you know, whatnot, you know, whether it's a washer and dryer that may need repair or a cooktop, in my case, recently that they just decided it was going to uh, take you a end nose up doing? dive. Uh, we, we bought a new one, actually. You did? I thought you were going to run a gas line. Uh, well, yeah. It's, it, yeah. So another look behind the curtain. Man, everybody's so probably not interested in this. But um, yeah, so we have an electric cooktop and decided that uh, we should have gone gas in the first place. And so we're actually going to drop a gas line uh, ourselves, actually. So if I don't show up to work on Monday, it's because I blew up. Um, and bought a gas cooktop. So we, we just did the math and, and figured that with what we originally paid for the cooktop and what it was going to cost to repair the cooktop, didn't make any sense. So we went with, with a gas one this time. Make sure to take your life insurance documents outside of the home prior to that. Great, great suggestion. You're welcome. All right, so back to the math we were doing. We were saying, okay, sometimes it could actually make more sense to lease a car. And the example was, if you're a family like Dame and I, uh, who are not a family, but have separate families, no relation, we may at some point in time take 25,000, 20, you know, 15 to $25,000 and pay cash for a used car. That, that has been my personal philosophy for cars. Dame has subscribed to that. But let's say you do that. Let's say you take $25,000 in lieu of just getting a lease or something like that at three, about 300 bucks a month. Dame, you would have to buy that car or or drive that car that you bought outright for seven years to justify buying that car. And in that time frame, this is not accounting for any repairs or major maintenance issues, whereas in a lease, you've just basically got oil changes. Yeah. And I I know somebody's probably thinking, well, you know, that extra monthly payment is not allowing you flexibility because you, you've got that lease payment. Well, yes and no, because theoretically you're you're saving up another big pile of money in the meantime. So Absolutely. whether you, you're paying it to a leasing company or to yourself, the money's still being allocated for future transportation needs. I, look, I what I'm currently doing is I'm arguing against a philosophy that I have personally held mm-hmm. for 15 years. And and I'm doing such an effective job of it. I feel like I've almost switched teams. <laughs> Let's and, and by switch teams, I mean to, I think leasing is yeah. a good idea. I, right. I am currently leasing, as I told you, because of this. I, I thought to myself, I do not want to part with tens of thousands of dollars in cash. I didn't want to finance the car and then you know still deal with a similar situation. I wanted to get rid of the responsibility from a warranty perspective, and I wanted to, you know, to use my positive cash flow to solve a need here. And so far, so good. I may feel different at the end of this lease. I don't know. Well, we've we've suggested leasing to coworkers previously yeah. uh, in, in right in in the right uh, situation. So it's it's not that we are um, necessarily anti lease. Uh, but, you know, I, I still think there's something to say for if, if you're the type of person who just wants to drive the car, hang on to it for as long as you can, 
buying an inexpensive used car with cash, if possible, still makes a lot of sense for most people. Especially if you've got cash flow issues. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And let's say this. I think this goes to a bigger issue, which sort of expands the segment here a little bit. You know, a lot of times in the financial world, you hear big, bold statements of like, this is always dumb. This is always good. Man, it doesn't work like that. Dame and I combined have, feels like 40 years experience. 40 years experience in this no, business. What's not? And and what we know is that when you say things like permanent life insurance is terrible, no, it's not. It's no. right for the right person. Leasing a car is dumb. No, it's not. It's right. Dame, it goes for when people say renting is throwing your money away. Uh, when people say, um, you know, front-loaded mutual funds make no sense. There are certain products in the financial annuities that people love to hate on. You'll see commercials all over cable news that are like, if you've got this sort of financial product, your financial advisor hates you. No, that's not true because that financial advisor may have chosen the perfect solution to your problem. Sure. they uh, Hopefully, your financial advisor understands you and your situation maybe even better than you do and can suggest the just the right product for you that, that ticks all the boxes and may not be understood by somebody outside of your situation, but that's okay. I mean, I'm back to the car lease thing here for a second. Dane, would you rather give me $25,000 and I will give you a car, or would you rather give me $300 a month for seven years? Meanwhile, you still have the $25,000 in case something else in your life over a seven-year period comes up. Which would you rather do? If cash flow is not an issue, I think it makes more sense to probably pay you a little bit at a time. I mean, wouldn't you rather have a big pile of cash when for, for when life happens? For when you have to hire someone professional to install a new gas pipe in your kitchen because you've blown blown up the kitchen and then to remodel the kitchen. Yeah, but shouldn't... I, arguably that comes out of the emergency fund and, and a new car purchase doesn't come out of your emergency fund. But when you still have a big pile of cash, whether it's an emergency fund or just in a non-retirement savings vehicle. Oh yeah. I'm filling up a room in my basement to be Scrooge McDuck and we're just going to go swimming in that pile of cash. You know, what was weird about Scrooge McDuck is that he knew English. That's the weirdest thing about Scrooge McDuck. That's it. Okay. He can make some money, but it was weird that he knew English. Hmm. What what language would he have known? I don't know. I was thinking like a Cantonese, like a Cantonese duck or Peking oh. duck yeah. sort of situation, but I couldn't make it work without it seeming like mildly offensive. That's, yeah. So we're just going to move on from there. Dame, um, I do feel like this type of conversation... It forces people to, not the Scrooge McDuck thing, the, the, the leasing versus owning or the renting versus owning a home. I just ask that people not just go through cultural norms and say, well, this is what my parents always did. This is what we should do. I think you have to really examine your situation. I feel like if you're renting and it gives you flexibility and it prevents you from you know, having to repair or maintain a home, then you're a genius. Good for you. You're, you're, you're silly to expose your financial life to risks you can't handle or mitigate. And if you don't have a savings account and you own a home, 
You're asking for it. That is karma knocking at your door. And then when they knock on it, it's going to break. You're going to have to pay to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I'm just excited that when my wife gets back home today, I can tell her that Pete told me to lease a car. Listen, I want to say this right now. Don't ever summon my name when having a discussion with your wife. I do not, I do not like to be in my friend's wives, bad graces. She will drive down there. She will drive down there and take care of business. I'm a little scared of her. Yeah, well, you should be. Like, feel like she was a college athlete. I was a college athlete. She was a more successful college athlete. She was. I was an outright failure. Yeah. Still. Dame, coming up after the break. Biggest waste of money of the week. I've got a doozy for you this week. Awesome. And uh, some current events. Your team uh, gathered current events for us this week. The uh, financial concierge team at your money line, of which Dame is the man. Yeah, it feels like a rocking chair is in your own, in your studio there. <laughs> I kick one little thing. All right, coming up after the break, more of the show. I'm Pete the Planer. He's Damian Dunn. No relation. The show is just getting good. If you leave now, you've just wasted a bunch of time. Here we go. This week's biggest waste of money of the week here on the Pete the Planner show is Dame. Which one do you want? The way the really big waste of money or like the really big waste of money? Let's go with the really big waste of money. Okay, it might actually be a good thing. Uh, the Darth Vader helmet, a well-made replica. This is not. It was worn on screen by David Prowse in Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back. This authentic Darth Vader helmet is among. The Holy Grails of film, film memorabilia. The prop is made from fiberglass with a mask painted dark metallic gray with black accents. Uh, the interior of the mask is marked one, indicating it needed to be put on prior to the jet black helmet. While the PVC fitting that connected the two is gone, the screw holes for it remain as do the remnants of the Velcro that served as a backup connection. The turned aluminum atmospheric sensors at either side of the vent and the mesh behind it are also missing, and the helmet has minor chips and dents from use, but it remains an extremely rare and desirable artifact. It will be joined in an auction with a full-sized screen-used model of R2-D2. All right, Dame, what do you think the starting bid for a the original Darth Vader helmet with a few missing pieces. What, what do you think? What, starting bid. Um, starting bid is going to be 50 grand. 250,000 American. Just a little bid. off. Yeah. I imagine if it wasn't missing pieces. Now this next item uh, for biggest waste of the money of the week, Dame, I'm going to, I'm gonna, it, it is a giant waste of money. Okay. But I'm going to come back to it and I'm going to extend some grace to it. That's the plan. Are you ready? Let's have it. The Acer Predator Thronos Air Gaming Chair. Gaming rigs don't get much more serious than Acer's Predator Thronos. Now there's a more accessible option in the Thronos Air. In addition to a chair with massage function, it includes three monitor mounts, an adjustable keyboard and mouse tray, a footrest, and a cable management system to hide all the wires. Cameras, hubs, and even cup holders are available as add-ons, meaning the only thing it's missing is the computer, monitors, and input devices. 
Damien, this is a chair that you sit in while you're playing video games. That as I just described, it, it, it's an all-in-one system. You got these monitors. You, you don't have monitors, but it's a place for monitors. You put your computer. It's, it's just like a... If you ever go to like a big boy arcade, as Ted and I call it, um, where there's yeah. big boy games, sure, you know? Yeah. It looks like that. Um, it's $13,999 to sit down and play video games in this chair, but you then still have to supply all the gear. For the chair. For the is, rig. The, the, is $14,000. Yeah, but here's where I'm going to go with this, okay? I do not have a bass boat, okay? <laughs> I, I, I just, that needs to be put out there. Okay. But there are people that like to fish as much as I do, and even more so, even less. And they make a purchase of a bass boat to enjoy hooking fish in the face, right? Mm-hmm. How's that different than this? I mean, a boat is a giant waste of money. That's not the point. But how is this different than someone else expressing their different interests and making an investment in those hobbies and interests? Season tickets to a Colts game or a bass boat or you know, a balance beam. I don't, I don't know. I, it's a chair. I, I mean, isn't a boat just a floaty? Sure. That's exactly what it is. Just just a floaty. Yeah, it's... Oh, my goodness. I mean, you're getting to the point where... Wait, $14,000 for a chair, if you, if you consider that a reasonable cost. What's next? Like you're, I, you're, you're flabbergasted. Here's what we've learned about me on the show today. I've just said a gaming chair is not a complete waste at $14,000. And I've suggested leasing cars makes sense for the certain people. And a bass boat is a floaty. And a bass boat is a floaty. Damien, um, this week in current events in the financial world, music revenue surges on streaming subscription growth. Revenue from recorded music in the U.S. rose 18% to $5.4 billion in the first half of the year, driven by growth in the subscriptions to streaming services like the ones offered by Spotify, Apple, and Amazon. Dame, uh, do you subscribe to a streaming service? Um, <clears throat> technically, two, although they're kind of throw-ins for other services that we we already pay for. So, you know, Amazon Prime, you get access to uh, the their catalog. Um, Same And then uh, our cell phone provider gives us access to another one as well. They do. Yeah. What do you get access to? Um, I don't remember. I think it's Spotify, maybe. I, I'm, I'm not can't remember. I don't. You can clearly. I use it a lot. Yeah, I'm a Pandora guy personally. Yeah. Like Pandora, I pay for that, and we get Amazon as thrown in with our other stuff. But I never really use that. Yeah. So, what was the first CD you ever bought? CDs, kids, are these little uh, metallic discs that that? Uh, yeah. Anyway. I bought, I feel like we've talked about this on the show. I bought two CDs at the same time. It was Biz Markie's I Need a Haircut single. Okay. You know, big, big, big Biz Markie B fan. I can't talk. And then Pauly Shore's oh, um, I'm going to glaze the donuts comedy CD or something like that. <laughs> well, I'm, Which I'm, I'm very proud I'm of that. Right. My first CD was Millie Vanilli. Really? Yeah. Do you do you blame other people for that, or do you just blame it on the rain? It's clearly the rain's fault. 
finally fall. Uh, yeah, we talked about stu- student loan forgiveness in some segment today. Is this today's show been four hours long? It feels like it. We, we had all sorts of technical difficulties before we got started. I went over in one segment, which requires editing. I said we should lease. I called a boat a floaty. But Dame, this just in, Congress has authorized a $700 million fund to help fix a popular but troubled student loan forgiveness program. However, that was a okay Stephen A. Smith. However, a new report shows that only 1% of applicants have been approved for relief under the expanded program, and more than 54,000 have applied. You know, Annie Nova, who has actually been on the show before, mm-hmm. is the reporter on this. She, she studied this, and she was on this show talking about this very topic. Here's the thing, dude. Um, that 1% issue, I'm going to say it wasn't really the government's fault. People just weren't qualifying and they were assuming they'd qualify and they do things wrong. That's not that surprising. No. I, and if you're going to lean on public student loan forgiveness, Trudy from first segment, make sure you're consistently qualifying going forward. Check every year. Make sure that what you're doing, your employer uh, qualifies for public student loan forgiveness. Um, Stay on top of it because the last thing you want to do is be one of the 99% of the people that applied and get denied for it and find out that you've got at least another year of, uh, of payments to go. The Department of Education processed 54,000 184 requests for loan forgiveness from May of 2018 through May of this year, 2019. 99% of temporary expanded public service loan forgiveness requests were still denied. Most applicants were rejected because they didn't properly submit the application, had not yet made 120 payments, or their loans did not qualify. Man, I, I don't like letting the government off the hook. But how's that the government's it's fault? It's not. Are you telling me people didn't read the directions? Hey, we're going to get hate mail about uh, this. Among other things. I mean, people who won't get upset about my leasing and, and floaty boats. But, damn, I think people are going to get angry. But it's people's fault. Yeah. And everybody else send, uh, send pictures of your chairs that you're trying to sell on Craigslist to Pete. He may think they're a great deal. No, I'm not buying the $14,000 chair. I'm just saying, look... Remember, oh man, we don't have time to go into this. I've just come to understand that I have different interests and I spend money on interests. So if, if gamers who I don't have anything in common with want to spend money on gaming things, who am I to say it's a bad idea? A financial expert? The show is over. Uh, join us next week. I'm sending you good vibes because the good vibes are all that's in the budget. Dame's here. I'm here. This is the Pete the Planner Show. Maybe our last episode. Maybe we'll-